I feel like a comet, a shooting star today. Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with an up-and-coming jazz singer from Oakland, California, Susanna Smith. With the recent release of her impressive debut album, Halfway Between Heaven and Love, she spent some time with Neon Jazz discussing her roots, career, and where all of it may be leading, and how regret can work in your favor, along with much, much more. Dig it. Let's start off at the top here. You were uh, born in Boulder, Colorado. How did that environment foster your love of jazz? Hmm. Well, probably the closest answer to that is my dad, who I split my time between California and Colorado, but my dad used to play a big band record for me. So I think my first taste of jazz was probably Glenn Miller, um, the Glenn Miller Orchestra. So that's the most direct connection to Colorado and jazz. But um, but really, I and then I really spent a lot of time growing up in Livermore, California, also, and listened to plenty of um, my my uh, CW and um, doo wop stuff from the fifties, the stuff that my mom uh, listened to when she was growing up. So um, I wasn't necessarily in a household steeped in jazz. We we listened to plenty of Waylon Jennings and. Uh, Willie Nelson. <laughs> nice. Well, so you got kind of a well-rounded education in music, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So when did you first start singing? Um, already singing in the backseat of the car to the dismay of my parents who would tell me to be quiet, um, <laughs> using up all the hot water, singing in the shower and whatnot. Um, and then in, I guess, I guess it was high school, um, singing... And choir and the musicals and the musicals, I was always in the back. I never had a main part. Um, and then when I went off to college um, on the East Coast, I went to Wellesley, and a cappella is just such a huge thing on the East Coast. And I um, I was in a couple of a cappella groups there. And after I graduated from Wellesley and I moved back to the Bay Area, I wanted to still do music, but I didn't have a, um, I, and I didn't play an instrument. I knew I didn't want to just go on Craigslist and join someone's band and sing their songs. Um, so I formed, uh, I, I did go on Craigslist and posted something, and two women from Smith, actually, so their college experience was almost identical to mine at Wellesley, um, responded, and we formed an all-women's a cappella group out here. So I was together for about five years um, out here in the Bay Area, and we performed around and about. And uh, after that, folded, because people were going off to grad school or having babies or what have you. Um, after about five years, that's how I found my way to the jazz school in Berkeley. Yeah. How was that? Well, um, I think I first heard about the jazz school through, I think there was probably like an ad on KQED, which is our NPR station here, and just piqued my interest, and I realized it was a place as a vocalist where I could go and just show up with my voice uh-huh. um, and be able to do something. I didn't have to join someone's whole band and sing all that music. I could just come and take classes, and I found it, I really think I'm so lucky that I found it. Um, I think it has a, I, I'm sure if the jazz school didn't exist and I hadn't found it, I don't know if I'd be doing this. Yeah. Not sure. Sure. Um, so I feel like I really lucked out living here in the Bay Area and finding it and that it was a place where you could 
um, take classes and there was a, you know, there was a structure for diving and then learning this material. It was something I could do as a, I was, you know, I am, I work full time also. So it was something I could participate in. Um, but that it was a very rich thing to fall into. It was, um, not, and I, I mean, any, any form of studying this music is great, but it, you know, it wasn't just like a community, um, it was more, it's a serious place. And this, I, when I started with them, that was before they became an accredited, now they have the Jazz School Institute. Um, and they really have grown, um, even since the time that I've known them. So I felt really lucky to, um, fall into this place where there's this whole community and, uh, it, it opened up the world of going to jam sessions and open mics. There's different types of classes to progress through. So yeah, I, I'm very thankful for the jazz school. Wonderful. So let me go back real quick. Have you ever, uh, showed your CD to your folks and said, Hey, all that time in the back seat singing actually paid off? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do bring that up much. <laughs> yeah, I do. Wonderful. I did. But they, they, I, I have a, I, my newest thing that I've rubbed in lovingly to my mom is when I was little, I, I remember the experience of trying to write music mm-hmm. and making up a song and, and, um, you know, drawing a scribbly line on paper with a pencil and thinking, oh, that rep, I'm a visual person, oh, that rep, there's my song, you know, this line goes up and down, it matches what I'm singing, and then the experience of coming back to that piece of paper later, and this is, I must have been six or seven, and just being dumbfounded, like, why can't I remember my song? I'm looking at the scribble now, and it means nothing, (laughs) and just really wishing that there had been someone around me that had I don't. I, I recently talked to my mom. She said I didn't even know that. She, I don't think I told her the, about this experience. But she was an athlete, and she pushed me um, to play sports, which was really great for me as well. So I played a bunch of sports, but I didn't have anyone around me that was a musician that I think would have seen a, a child and been like, "Oh my gosh, get this person in front of the piano." Right. Uh, right. You know, and I wish, I really wish somehow someone would have been in my life put me in front of the piano when I was six or seven because I think, uh, who knows what, what that would have been like. Well, well, you know, in this modern day and era, we're so hypersensitive to abilities children have. I think it would have probably been easier these days to pick mm-hmm. up and really push a child that way. So, um, yeah, yeah. I wish I had known enough then to know what I was looking for. Yeah. I'd ask for a piano. That's a great story. Um, I really, really, really like your your new album, Halfway Between Heaven and Love. And you know, as, as somebody that spins a lot of music on my show, it's very refreshing to hear really good vocalists come out. And I really was impressed with this CD. And I want to know what what was the uh, journey from start to finish. There was one quote you said from the first rehearsal. It took two years until we finally went to the studio. I love that quote. So just kind of talk to me about the album. Sure. Um, well, a lot of the songs, I, the original songs I wrote, I think I probably started putting pen on paper to write those around maybe 2005, 2006. Um, I have been gigging a lot, um, doing monthly gigs and weekly gigs around and about and working with a group of guys that many of them are are actually on the album with me. So I think part of what took so long was was wanting to make this album with them rather than just hire the the 
the big guns that, you know, there's many great players in the Bay Area. I could have probably made an album a lot sooner if I just, um, you know, threw down the money and got the top shop players and, and we knocked it out. But I really wanted to make it. It just felt like part of doing this first album was to create it with the people that I had sort of come up with from the very beginning. I mean, Michael Cohen, who was instrumental to this music with me, I met him on one of my early gigs, uh, on a gig where I didn't even hire the musicians. The club owner hired the players, and I just showed up and hoped for the best each night. Um, so it really was an experience of creating it um, from the ground up with them. So I think that's part of the reason why it took so long. Um, I work full-time. I've always worked while doing this. So um, it just, I went through some some bumps in life, shall we say, um, that a lot of my original music is, is directly related to. So sort of um, weathering those storms and turning out, pouring them into the songs and then taking a long time to craft the songs and doing that collectively with my band and then and then finding some new players to fold into the band. We almost went and recorded for the first time, I think it was going to be New Year's Day or New Year's Eve Day, uh, maybe 2000, I don't know, seven or eight, but the drummer had a baby that day, that morning. Wow. So the whole thing got called <laughs> off. So it's just yeah. like this real journey. Michael um, Coleman is a great musician, plays all kinds of music. He's always in about 25 bands at once and a couple uh, times he was on tour, so people were out of town. Just, you know, just sort of this thing that I pushed along um, in the background of life and I had this experience when we went into to do mastering where I, I realized, whoa, I'm mastering. Wait, this is it. Yeah. You know, I didn't even realize sort of that we'd made it because I'd been so busy. I had a baby in May. So, you know, I was, up to, I was he was late by a week. I was in the studio mixing like three days after my due date. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, he, the little guy, we brought. I brought him to the studio to finish some mixing when he was probably five weeks old. He just sat in his little basket, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really been, yeah. I mean, I, I have. I think all the time, what would it be like in those days when you, you had to just like live in this music and I don't know a label or record company paid for it. You just went in and you got to just do this. What would that be like? But mm -hmm. I've always done this. Well, pushing along a million other things. Sure, sure. So let me ask you this: with your influences, I know Ella Fitzgerald was big, but you, you there's mentions of Anita O'Day, Shirley Horn, Sarah Vaughan. Who out of them are the most influential to you, and why? Hmm. Well, that's a hard one. I mean, I, I think I started as many people do with Ella. And I think about her a lot when I'm trying to sing and for clarity, you know, and to to really sing the words clear. And um, uh, yeah. I I listen to Sarah. She's like diving into a deep well. I, I mean, I I often have one of her CDs and I just play it for weeks straight because there's so much she's doing in there. Um, I maybe in my lifetime we'll get to the point where I can do one little fingernails worth of, you know, what she does, but she's inspiring to me just in the way that she's always 
um, you know, sort of phrasing on her acrobatics and, and uh, thinking about that. I studied with Kitty Margolis, and we work a lot on phrasing. So I would think I listened to Ella for the clarity, and then Sarah Vaughan inspired me for just the, I don't know, taking the melody and, and, and changing it and, and, or the phrasing. Um, and then I've also been influenced, I was thinking about that before you called, by songwriters. Um, I don't know if it is listed in there, but like Anita, uh, Ani DeFranco, Patty Griffin, Martin Sexton, sort of modern day lyricists and songwriters. Yeah. So I'm kind of trying to put those two worlds together. Yeah, very cool. So it, would you say that bebop is one of your favorite jazz genres or idioms? Why is yeah, that? Bebop, I mean, I like I like to write. I like the challenge of like with Lady Bird and Half Nelson. It's I like the challenge of trying to write a lyric to those melodies. And there's there's a lot of melodies that catch my ear that I, I I'm always like, oh, that would be the tickle toe. Oh, that'd be really fun to write some lyrics to. Yeah. Um, and I have to continue to 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 grow to um to learn them, to be able to sing them. You know, if you're a horn player, you, you get on your horn every day and you play and you play and you play it. And as a vocalist, how do you how do you break down the melodies and really um, learn them correctly? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So your bio says that you spent the last decade building relationships with players. Has that been pretty instrumental in you releasing your first album and getting out there and, and doing your thing? Hugely. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, um, there was a club called Kelly's of Alameda here in Alameda. And I, from the jazz school, someone invited me to be in their show and they didn't um, sing a few songs. And they said, oh, before, before you sing at Kelly's, he likes everyone to come to the open mic. And so I started going to the open mics and that led to doing a, um, every other Friday singing at Kelly's. And as I mentioned, that, that, that gig really was instrumental. I didn't hire the musicians. So every Friday that I went there, it was a four-hour gig, 9 to 1 a.m. Every hour, every time I went there, I just sort of looked around and said, are you the pianist? You're hovering near the piano. <laughs> and so I met right out of the gate. It was sort of sink or swim. It was like, let's get this done with whoever shows up. Um, and I met and worked with, I mean, over the course of about a year, um, so many musicians, and a lot of times, some of them were terrible. I mean, and I was brand new, so maybe you know I couldn't hold my end together very well. But uh -huh. some of them were terrible. Uh -huh. Some of them were amazing guys that maybe just didn't have a gig that night. And Kelly called them the last minute, and they came down. Sometimes there was a, a one of the top call bassists in the Bay Area who likes to play drums. So sometimes he would show up and be on drums. And so I had a whole range of experiences of, of weathering terror. Like one time there was like a classical pianist who ended up on the piano playing jazz and it was totally horrible, <laughs> you know, and I yeah. survived. And I still think of that as my most terrifying gig. And then I have experiences of like some of the best players in the Bay Area being behind me and like encouraging me, like take another chorus, you know, do this, or talking to me after the gig if something something happened on a tune. Um, so I wasn't. I think a lot of singers who start and are new end up finding one pianist and working only with one pianist, and then they they 
aren't very flexible if that pianist isn't available. They don't know how to get it done. Sure. Um, but by the time Kelly's closed and I needed to go out and find other gigs, I had a pretty good roster of people to call. Sure. So... Yeah. That good deal. So, let me. Speaking of live performances, I know you you perform out in the Bay Area. Do you have any plans of you know we're here in Kansas City coming out this way or any other spots around the country? I would I would love to do that. Um, as I mentioned, I just had a little boy in May, so he's seven months old. So it's a funny position to be in where I you know release a first album and then I'm like, oh, that can't really <laughs> go anywhere very far. To <laughs> music. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, a new balancing act to figure out what I'd love to. Um, you know, I have family in Colorado. I'd love to go play wherever I can. I want to see if I can get back and uh, play at my college in uh, Wellesley, Massachusetts, and maybe set something up in Boston. So I think I just need to figure out what's the new uh, balancing act. But I um, plan on doing this as long as I can. So Right on. <laughs> once. Once we get once we get the seven month old under control. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this: What are some of your short and long term plans? Well, um, short term, as I said, I'm sort of defining a new balancing act of how to um, how to how to be, get out and be performing, continue get back to the performing schedule that I was doing before I had. Uh, my son, um, and long term, just already thinking about what it, uh, having done one album, it makes me just I want to hurry up and make the third album. I want to be in a position to be making a third album, and what is that experience like after having done one and learned so much, and then learn to you know do it again? So I'm already just thinking what what would a second you know I'm very proud of my first album and just thinking about what is. What does it mean to have done this? What do I do next? Sure. Um, what uh, I feel like I set the bar pretty high for myself just in terms of original material. So yeah. thinking a lot about, um, you know, what, I don't know. It, as I, it, took, it took, I think a first album is always like this. It takes a long time to birth the first album. Uh, you know, do I want to wait six years? No. So how do you get to the richness of the material fast? Yeah. Um, so thinking about that and uh, yeah, just just sort of just finding a new balance for myself of um, being a new mom and a worker bee and an artist. Yeah, absolutely, the balancing act. So uh, let me ask you this: If you could go back in time and meet one jazz musician from any era, who would it be, and why? And maybe what would you ask him? I, that's, a, that's just only one, huh? Only one to me. No, you could, I, you, you could pick a couple, but yeah. Uh, I, I would love to meet, there's, um, one of my favorite albums is a, I can't remember the title of it right now, but I'm sure you know it. It's, it's, um, it's Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Yeah. Um, together and they're sitting on the cover of this album they're sitting there just in these little lawn chairs <laughs> you know she's in the house dress and he's in pants and his little socks are rolled down around his ankles yeah uh, and they're just sitting there and I love that album and I always 
think of them like that and they just look like someone's grandparents. Yeah. You know, like in a, in a different world, maybe those were my grandparents or something. And so I would love to go back and just sit and sit there with them, with Ella and, and Louie and um, meet them. And I don't know what I would ask them, maybe just uh, some, something to the effect of what is it, what is it like to make this music with such joy, you know, or what I would like to ask them what their world was like, you know, feel like if you were, if you, if you're a jazz musician now, you're on the fringes, you know. Right. What, what was it like to make this music when this music was what everybody loved yep. and, and wanted? And uh, what, I don't know, what, what was it like for them? Or what was, what was Louis' secret to being so joyful all the time? That's a great answer. Great visual, too. It's a real Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you live with any regrets? Of course. <laughs> um, there's a line in, uh, in, I think, in Comet, which is one of my songs. Uh, let me see if I can remember. But it says, how could I not have lived without regret? And I, it's funny because I... I say that line over and over in my head, and I think, did I put too many double negatives in there? Or I do, wait, does that mean I live with regret or <laughs> without regret? And then I thought, maybe that's the point, you know? Yeah. Um, I think you have to. I think I um, wouldn't have made, I wouldn't have been able to make this album without things happening in my life that I do look back on. Um, with a mix of emotions, but I think that you have to have some bumps, you have to get off the straight and narrow path, have things happen to you in order to have a, in the end, to have had a rich life. And the things that I would say, yeah, I do have regrets about have also led to richness in my life. And there's lots of times when I'll say something's happening and one of the ways I'll get through to say, well, this is what's going to make me an interesting old lady. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> that's very cool. But, yeah. I'd rather be one of the interesting old ladies than one that's just, you know, quiet in the corner. Right. Absolutely. So when I was reading your bio, too, I was actually kind of excited as I got towards the end and realized the name of your son. My son is actually named Miles as well. Really? Yeah. Oh, see? Wow. So, All the good ones. Yes. So was it named after Miles Davis? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. That's cool. Very cool. So let me ask you this: What album or song did you listen to before our interview? Well, last night, uh, feeding Miles his uh, carrots for dinner, <laughs> and we put on. Uh, I have a little uh, jazz lullabies album that um, Universal put out, or something. And there's a, I think like the second song in, I love it. I'm not sure of the name of it, but it's Mel Torme singing a, I don't know if the title of it is Bye Bye Baby. I'm not sure. It's a little bit of a lullaby song and Mel Torme sings it and I love it. And that's actually been the one that's stuck in my head today. Very cool. Very cool. So let me ask you this. We've kind of come to the end of the interview here and I want to get kind of a glimpse and, and, and the matter of modern-day brevity, which would be a tweet. Tell me who Susanna Smith is and the length of one tweet. Ah, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little countdown thing so I know when I'm... <laughs> a little 144 <laughs> character hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I guess a, I don't know. Smart, savvy, lyricist with a... With a... No, I'm still getting used to people describing me. I'm not good at describing myself. <laughs> I, uh, smart and savvy lyricist with a... I don't know, a calm and cool delivery. That's cool. That's a cool description. <laughs> I like it. That was a little painful. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's usually for a lot of people that last question's kind of, you know, when you have to really narrow your life down to one sentence, it's tough. So you did great. Well, I'm, I'm learning from all of you guys. It's, it's been a new experience to actually put, my, put, put something out there and then have people reflect back to me what... Um, what the heck it is that I did. <laughs> sure. Let, let me let me ask you this. Speaking of reflection and, and doing this, um, what was it like the first time you gave out your autograph? The first time I did was, maybe, maybe this is the first time, but it was to a little girl at a club where I was singing, and she... Uh, she was a drummer, but she was like six or seven years old. And she, I mean, to her, I might as well have been Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> so for one small second, I acted like I was Marilyn Monroe because <laughs> the little six-year-old girl, uh, maybe I was, and it mattered, you know, it's, you know, it mattered for her to see some big girl up on stage. Yeah. Um, that might have been the first time. And so it felt good. Yeah, that's cool. Very cool. Thank you very much. This was a great interview. Thank you, Joe. It was really fun. Thanks for tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers around the country belting out that jazz. And thanks to Susanna for her time and insight into her craft and good luck. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. And for all things Neon Jazz, the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Down on where you are today. Neon Jazz.